0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy.
1: And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh,
0: Well, uh, this uh, episode is coming a little later than Sawbones classically has been. We've been trying to be more regular lately, honestly.
1: Yeah, uh, we wanted to be completely transparent as to why this episode isn't on time. We had initially planned, and we never do this on this show, I feel like. It's, yeah. It was, it was, it's a rarity, certainly we planned on a very lighthearted silly episode initially this week based on multiple listeners Oh, uh, don't
0: spoil it because we'll still do it
1: you don't want me to spoil it
0: no no, okay. no. I'll keep it a secret it's gonna right. be a silly one it
1: was gonna be very silly though um, and in light of what's happening in our country it seemed it is incredibly inappropriate and so we didn't want to put that out into the into the world right now that was not what anyone needed to hear Mm -hmm. uh but at the same time it took me some time and justin i know you helping me to try to figure out what exactly we had to say
0: right that we could
1: that, that that we were um well, me, that I have the expertise to add to the conversation. As whi- no offense.
0: As white people, we're trying to listen as much as we can, and we didn't know if we would have anything valuable to say right now, I think would be the the honest way of putting it. Um, and exactly.
1: It- I think I think the, the primary voices we should be listening to right now are uh, members of the black community and not us, white yeah. people. Um, we need to do a lot more listening. We've talked for way too long. Uh, so I thought about what I do have knowledge in, and that's medicine and specifically medical history. Obviously, that's why we do the show. And right now, while uh, the the recent murder of George Floyd by a white police officer in Minneapolis is not related to the medical field precisely, um, criminal justice and the systemic racism in our, in our criminal justice system and in law enforcement is not my area of expertise, but the racism that exists in the medical system is within, I think my purview and certainly within, uh, my duty to confront, Mm. um, not just as a physician in the system on behalf of my patients, but, uh, when I see it in my colleagues and in the students and residents that I train, and in all of the other members of the medical profession, not just physicians that I work with on a regular basis.
0: And I, as a podcaster, am also talking into a microphone. I don't have as high of a calling as he does, admittedly, but I am here and I hope that that is the right thing to be doing. I, I feel, I think that's right. I hope that that's right. I, I have. I'm trying my best.
1: Well, I have been very vocal about the fact that we have this platform whatever size it may be to talk about the things that are within our purview to talk about and that i would be remiss if i didn't use it to do whatever good i am capable of doing i keep saying me but i don't mean to leave you out it's just that i do no it's
0: absolutely legit for sure for sure for sure now sydney i um i would remind people that a lot of times on Sawbones I pretend to be dumber than I actually am to keep the conversation moving. I just wanted to say that first. Sure. So you're telling me there's racism in medicine too?
1: It is, it is not shocking to anyone listening. I would hope that, there is, uh, that racism is unfortunately built into the structure of every institution in our nation's history and, and in our current society today. Um, and it is, it is, it infiltrates every aspect of society. And certainly when it comes to medicine, medical care, access, whether to preventive services or life-saving services, uh, proper diagnoses, proper treatment is not an exception to this, unfortunately. Uh, and I wanted to just kind of briefly go into some of the historical roots of this, um, it's really, it, it of seems, racism. No, of this ra- is
0: going to be a long episode,
1: specifically racism in medicine, racial disparities and, and the racism that exists in the medical system in the United States. That is all I can speak to, uh, with any degree of, of understanding is what we have experienced in this country. Um, certainly it's different, obviously outside of the U S sure. Uh, There are a lot of reasons, and I think it's always important to talk about when you start talking about the disparities between two groups, you need to start uh, doing the hard work of digging into the data and figuring out why it's all there. Because as a lot of uh, smart people have pointed out before me, if you just say that it's worse for one racial group than it is for another, and you don't seek to understand why, well, first of all, you can't fix it and secondly people begin to fill that gap of knowledge with their own ideas and opinions and a lot of these are not helpful and can actually be really harmful and reinforce really negative views of a of a racial demographic like the idea that for instance when it comes to health outcomes for black people and white people in this country well is Is it just because uh, socioeconomic status? We'll just fill in that gap. It's all related to poverty and that's the problem and we figured it out. And that doesn't That doesn't address it. It doesn't solve it. And it that's not based on data. That's based on guesswork. I'm not saying that doesn't contribute to it. But just as an example, it's obviously Mm -hmm. more complicated. And so you've got to look for these reasons so that you can address it properly. Um, Insurance coverage is part of the socioeconomic status plays into this. Access to physicians, to specialists, to hospitals. But then there's something that has to do with the attitudes of the people providing the care. There's a whole other piece to this that isn't about... This this nebulous like system, but the people in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot harder, right, to talk about and to face if you're a member of that system. Right. Um, and especially for all of you who are white like we are, it can it can be a really hard, long look in the mirror that you have to do. And then guess what? You got to do it again the next day and the next day and the next day and every day. Mm-hmm. And it's hard work that we should be doing. Um the root of this issue in our country is not is not hard I mean, to guess. It's,
0: it's America, folks. We right. we, yes. we we stole the land, we built it uh with slave labor. I mean it's 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 uh it's in our it's in our bones.
1: And and I should say I'm focusing uh, in this episode specifically about uh racist attitudes towards black Americans throughout our history. Obviously, there there's much more that could be said about uh, Native Americans. There's much more that could be said about all other ethnic minorities in this country who are treated differently than white people. All non-white people are not afforded that same privilege when it comes to medical care. Um, but I wanted to focus because of everything that's going on right now. I wanted to focus on the black community. Um, From a medical standpoint, if you look back to the origins of kind of our understanding of race in the United States, you're really talking about what is called scientific racism.
0: So that would be the, is that kind of like in the same family, I'm taking a guess here, I have no idea. Is that like same family as eugenics, sort of like finding the scientific reasons why one race is uh, scientifically superior to it's kind of a snooty highfalutin racism with a monocle and everything.
1: Yes. Yes. You you are eugenics is the eventual evolution of scientific rate of like the early forms of scientific racism in the early days of, of the United States of America. Um, and this was used to justify enslaving, you know, uh, People from Africa who were brought to the United States—they are well, lesser Who were brought than, to the colonies? They're
0: lesser than we are. It is our moral right to exactly. subjugate them.
1: And, and and this was down to the to the belief that and and I don't know if this was always. If hey, was I don't believe this.
0: No. I don't know if I needed to so, oh, listen. I just because I I know about this from books. Obviously, we obviously, didn't I don't this. think this. I don't. I shouldn't have to say that at this point. But you know what? I'm going to go you ahead and say it why um, not let's just go ahead and get that out there I, I, th-
1: I actually think that it is important for us to say these obvious things right now um, yeah because if you look at our country's leadership it's not as it's not as obvious as it should be uh, but when when at this time the idea was not just that kind of some humans are better than others that was definitely baked into this idea right but it was also that there are different species of human So it it was actually like the hierarchy was very scientifically like the the groundwork for it was laid in a very sciencey way in the sense that our physical characteristics and skin color delineate. uh, There were believed to be four different species of human, essentially, which not only then are you saying a white human at this time period, a scientist would say a white human is better than a black human. You're saying they're not human
0: in the way that we understand. They're 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 different different. kinds
1: of human. They're different. Just like we know that there are lots of different species of this type of butterfly or whatever. We are different species of human. This is obviously not true, but this belief was held for a long time. And, you know, the idea that, ending slavery in this country will automatically make those beliefs go away obviously is flawed uh, and the origins of that theory by the way of course predate America
0: the scientific not not the um, you're talking about the theory of scientific racism and yes, like racial the, the idea
1: that the idea that there are different species of human and that there are superior humans and inferior humans it, this obviously didn't this was not born out of the United States Um we talk about a lot of historical figures that added to kind of the body of knowledge that would lead to these theories. Hippocrates noted differences. It was largely based on the geographic regions that people were from. And he thought they represented sort of different types of humans. Um, Avicenna said the same thing and even theorized as to like, some natural superiorities and inferiorities between different races. Uh, Linnaeus uh, helped draw these connections between like this type of person looks like this. And this is what I would categorize this human species as. Um, And all of that coming from more of a, we're cataloging provided the body of, knowledge that would lead to these theories of the, that led to scientific racism, the idea that one human is better than another. Um, and that's begin to tie health characteristics to race as well. As, again, as early as Hippocrates, you see kind of these sort of like social characteristics and behaviors and personality types and also health identities tied to race. Um, it's I mean all throughout human history they've been we've been cataloging other humans and then making, Generalizations about them based on on what we observe. Mm. Um, the uh, when it came to the early days of the United States, um, there were really two healthcare systems. There was the regular medical system, healthcare system that was accessible by white people, uh, and then there was a kind of separate, but definitely not. As high quality healthcare system, I think it's very clear to say these are not these are in no way equal. equal right. Um, that was afforded to the enslaved people who were owned by by white people, and this this sort of companion system were usually um, lay persons, uh, herbal healers, midwives, um, sometimes like the. If it was like a large plantation or something, the the owner's wife may be mm. responsible for medical care for uh, the people who were enslaved. Um, occasionally, it would involve a physician, but all of this was just to meet the needs of the, of the owner's
0: plantation owner. Yes, right.
1: it was it was very much directed at uh, we will only expend the time or money that is necessary to keep. To keep someone able to function in their job, I shouldn't say as
0: property, yes, basically rather than as human beings.
1: Exactly, exactly. Not, not really for the good of the patient. Um, and we have discussed this at great length in our episode about J. Marion Sims mm. and the horrific surgical experimentation that he performed on in, in, uh, enslaved Black women uh, with no anesthesia um, multiple times. Uh, in order to perfect a surgical technique, and uh, w- this was, you know, based on this belief that black people did not experience pain the way that white people do, which again speaks to this scientific racism. They're different. They're fundamentally different. Um, it, it's interesting to note that if you were a if you were a fl- free black American at this point in history, you essentially had no health care.
0: You had kind of fallen through the cracks.
1: When I say American, we, there, there were no Americans yet, really. Well, no, we were post-revolution, pre-Civil War. Yeah, right. There are yes, second Americans. Yeah, okay. Americans. But either way, even before before Revolution, after Revolution, if you were if you were a free Black person, you had no health care.
0: You 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 were on neither side of this of this divide.
1: Exactly. You were not. You were excluded from the white system because of segregation. Before we called it segregation, it was just assumed. Obviously, mm-hmm. you would not be allowed, and then uh, you were not going to be afforded any sort of care that. Um, someone who was enslaved would get. Uh, So they, they basically had no access to any sort of physicians and and had to within their own community kind of figure out their own medical needs. Yeah. Um, The uh, this, this legacy continued, of course, as we move past slavery into all of the, um, the segregation and the, and the Jim Crow era in the South. Um, There was still an idea that there was a fundamental difference. And again, I, I I know this sounds to me like if you, if you really wrap your mind around this, if, if you are a good person, the idea that there is such a fundamental difference between white people and black people that we need to come up with a separate set of diagnoses, which there was indeed a handbook That was separate for the diagnoses of a black patient than a white patient. The idea being that the very basic physiology that underlies a health condition, the reason you have high blood pressure, the reason you have diabetes is different in a black person than in a white person. This belief was held by doctors by and large at that time. So you wouldn't be treated the same because the disease was fundamentally different in your body because it was a different thing completely. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we wouldn't understand it as well because nobody was putting in the time or effort to understand it. And in segregated areas, which was most of most areas, mm-hmm. uh, you were only allowed to see, you would only have access to see the black doctors go to the black hospitals sure. that were available to you. And there were so many fewer Uh than there were white doctors and white hospitals. Uh Um, It's so the treatments would differ. uh, And there of course were all these examples, like we've talked about misled beliefs about like pain tolerance and things like that. Um, If you go, if you went into predominantly black areas in the South and black counties, uh, there was obviously, as I've already talked about, a, not a lot of hospitals or medical professionals to be found, um, in order to, to get more black doctors to provide care for the black community, you had to have black medical schools for them to attend. And there weren't very many of those either. Um, and so all these were hurdles for people being able to even see a doctor.
0: Sure. Yeah. You
1: know, if, if you're sick, just be able to get care, um, by As a result of all this, by the year 1900, about 2% of medical professionals in this country were black. And that, knowing our history, that number did not shock me, right? right. In the year 1900, only 2%. It's a very small percentage. It is not adequate to, to you know provide care for the number of black Americans. But at the same time, it's the year 1900. We're not that far out from slavery. It made sense to me. The wild part of the statistic, the second half, is that that, that 2% did not change much until the early 1980s. Whew. That's in our lifetime.
0: You like we- to think that you're so far removed from, I mean, it, it's just another reminder. Like, it, it, when we talk about, when you hear about things like systemic racism, like, this is what we're, I mean this is what it's about. Like the, these systems have been in place and been keeping people, you know, out of professions like, like medicine for decades.
1: And, and if you add to the fact that, you don't have enough doctors you don't, or enough nurses or enough, you know, lab techs or enough all the other people that support the doctors, all the medical professionals you need to run a hospital, to run a doctor's office, to provide preventive services, to provide emergencies, all that stuff. You don't have enough of any of that. The, you know, people live in communities where they are hours away from the nearest doctor or hospital so that there's no access. Plus, then you add in their health insurance and how many black Americans were and remain on un or underinsured so even if you did have a hospital or a doctor you could see could you afford to um, plus all of the other issues beyond like the criminal justice system but the educational system the fact that black schools were underfunded and were not able to provide as much in terms of resources for the students the fact that uh, housing discrimination existed you know you just layer all that on top of sure. Um, and transportation issues to get to the doctor. You, you layer all that on top of all of this and you can see where, you know, it, it, the health outcomes are not going to get better until all of that is addressed. Um, by the way, the percentage of that they, they did a study asking active physicians in the United States to self-identify their race and the percent that identified as black in this country is six percent it's about six percent that is that is still so wildly low Mm -hmm. and again it's all these reasons we just talked about that have not been solved today that maybe some are better but they are not gone um the uh and and then there's this whole other issue so we've talked about all these all these structural problems all these systemic problems but this view of, of black people and white people is fundamentally different, and, and that there is an inferior and superior race. All of this, which would eventually result in eugenics as you as you talked about, and we've done a whole episode on that. Um, if you then take into account specific examples like what happened in Tuskegee when 600, about 600 black airmen were put into a study of syphilis without, informed consent without being really told what was being done to them uh some received a few received treatment many did not but they were lied to and led to believe they were receiving treatment and they weren't even i i I read this i don't know if i said this the last time we talked about tuskegee on this show but uh many were just told they had quote unquote bad blood and and while that was a term used for syphilis it was also used for a a variety of other disorders Mm. at the time so they weren't even properly informed as to what they were what they had or not being treated for Um, the study started in 1932 we found that penicillin was an effective treatment for syphilis in 1945 but the study continued until 1972 with these black men remaining untreated for the syphilis that the doctors knew they had And many, many doctors and scientists and medical students were complicit in this as the study went on through all of these years. If you take that into account, along with the fact that we have a history of surgeons, especially in the in the American South, removing black women's uteruses without asking them or obtaining consent doing hysterectomies so that they could no longer have children without actually them desiring for that procedure to be done. Uh, When you take into account that uh, throughout any time there's been reform in the medical education system in this country, it's resulted in the closure of black medical schools and black hospitals where black doctors could train, providing them with fewer opportunities to go to school to become doctors to, to to help change the medical profession, and if you add into that the story of Henrietta Lacks, who we we've, we've referenced on the show before, and there's the wonderful books and I mean you, there's a lot of information out there you can learn now about Henrietta Lacks who had cervical cancer and after she unfortunately passed away, the tissue from her cervical cells, which turned out to be a very robust cell line that was good for medical research has been used and continues to be used throughout medical labs all over the country without any consent from her or her family or knowledge. Mm.
0: Um,
1: If you take all that into account, it's easy to see the other part of this story, which is white doctors who are not, uh, not going to be as compassionate or as considerate or as understanding of their black patients for many of these years. And even as things hopefully are changing, still have that legacy, still have grown up with that, that that privilege, that white supremacy that they've been surrounded with their whole youth.
0: That is the, it is, that's again, to keep harping on this, cause I think it's easy to, especially for a white person to, to miss stuff like this. Um, I know I do uh, every day, uh, that's part of privilege is not noticing things like this, but like the structure, the medicine has a skeleton that is millennia old. And a lot of those bones were put in place when people thought that black people and white people were a different species. Like when we talk about systemic, like that's But the, you, you know, even if you directly are trying to push against it in your own head, you're in a system that was built on some really terrible uh, assumptions.
1: And even like your basic understanding of uh, kind of like populations, big studies that have told us what um, the course of a chronic disease is or how much, um, what medications are appropriate or what the prognosis of a certain disease is, any of these things, you have to consider that throughout most of our medical history, they've largely been done With like to figure out the best course of treatment for white participants, black participants were rarely included. And I thought that this was a a fascinating study that was done recently that looked at how much um, in terms of monetary resources, uh, patients specifically, I think it was like a Medicare study to see like how much they would need. And what they found is that when they, they and they actually used a diverse patient population base to figure out this number. What they found is that the amount they settled on was way less than the average white patient needed, hmm. uh, but was only less than a very small percentage of the average black patient needed. And they said, well, why do black Americans need less care than white Americans? And the truth is, it's not that they need less, it's that they get less. Mm. And so that's what it was reflecting is that these black patients were not getting as much preventive care. were not getting appropriate follow ups and diagnostic procedures and medications prescribed and surgeries they needed and all these other things, not because they didn't need them. They just weren't getting them. And so it looked like they were costing. Well, they cost so much less to the system because the system isn't taking care of them. Right. Um, but this is not history. All of this that we're talking about, this this is in the past, but this still Again, this still all exists today. Currently, we talk about how there was this misconception that uh, black people had a higher pain tolerance or didn't feel pain the way that white people did. Black patients are still less likely to receive adequate pain control, Hmm. especially in an emergency room setting. You know, for the same painful condition that I as a white woman would walk in for, the black patient will receive less pain medication um, because they did not believe that they're in as much pain. Uh, they are less likely to have access to needed cancer treating surgeries. There was a study done that proved that they're less likely to get cholesterol lowering medications when they are indicated. Uh, They uh, and black women are 40% less likely in some areas to receive mammograms at appropriate intervals. So even preventive services uh, screening, you know, to, to catch cancer early, all of that Uh, less likely to be performed adequately in especially in predominantly black communities, predominantly black counties than in the white population. Um, and it, it extends beyond the ER because a lot of this you could pass off as like, well, maybe in an ER setting where the doctor doesn't know the patients and then you just get that. And you, you know, we're hearing this a lot right now when it comes to, um, the criminal justice system and police officers, the one bad apple, mm-hmm. maybe it's just that one doctor who's the bad apple in the ER. Um, However, we find that these these disparities extend, unfortunately, into the primary care office, which hits close to home for me as a primary care physician, because you have uh, in the ER, if a black patient and a white patient both come in having a heart attack, the white patient is actually more likely to receive the emergent cardiovascular procedures that they need, including cabbage, open heart surgery, than the black patient. Which is a, a why, like this, it should be that easy. It's a heart attack, it's a heart attack, right? Right. Still. Uh, but even in the primary care office, when it comes to chronic disease management, if we have a white patient and a black patient of the same age and disease severity who both have diabetes, the white patient will have better health outcomes, better control of that condition long term, and suffer fewer complications than the black patient with the same diagnosis and same disease severity why the why is a lot harder is a lot harder to answer um there are many many factors as i said you don't want to just leave it open to interpretation a lot of these we've already mentioned uh access to care is a big problem um again there are still not enough you know medical offices physicians nurses hospitals in predominantly black communities, all of that is part of the problem. Um, access to care in terms of being able to afford it, affordable care, mm-hmm. transportation to and from, being able to afford prescriptions to properly manage a chronic disease, mm-hmm. uh, being able to um, it it goes into your your job. What type of job do you hold? Are you able to miss work when you're sick to properly take care of yourself? Or be able are you able to miss work to go get diagnostic procedures or preventive screening? services that you might need. All of those things. Immunization levels are lower. So are you getting the immunizations that will keep you healthy? Um, all of that plays into it. But then I think that everything we've just talked about, these attitudes, this, this scientific racism, um, the use of black patients as experimental subjects throughout history, it has created this, this fundamental distrust and lack of open communication between the medical system and the black patients who need access to it. And it's something that I, you know, we talked about somewhat in medical school, but certainly not enough. I know because I'm involved in our medical school's curriculum that it's talked about more now,
0: Mm.
1: but until all of these numbers change, Would you say that it's being talked about enough? No, no, (laughs) no. I mean, until health outcomes are equal, it's not being talked about enough. And that's not even, uh, even as I was putting this episode together, um, today, the Johns Hopkins school for public health came out with a whole, a whole new statement talking about, again, even more statistics, um, African-American babies die before their first birthday at more than twice the rate of white newborns. African-American women die at more than twice the rate of other women during pregnancy and childbirth. Um, The life expectancy of African-Americans is three and a half years shorter than for white Americans. And then finally, COVID, it bears mentioning that when we talk about the rate of disease severity of people who get severe cases of COVID and who die of COVID and then just the sheer number of who is getting COVID uh, it's, it's disproportionately higher among black Americans. And if you look state by state, almost every single state, almost every single state in the country has, have a disproportionately high number of, their black population getting coronavirus as compared to their population, like more than you would expect for the number of actual black people who live in that part of the country. Um, Even here in our state of West Virginia, which I believe our stat is that only about three and a half percent of the population of West Virginia is black. Twice that number of coronavirus cases are among black West Virginians Mm. in some counties in this state we have 55 counties I can't tell you why we're a like lot we're very tiny and we have 55 counties in some of these counties 20 to 30 percent of the patients who have coronavirus are black that those those are ridiculous statistics for a state that is as overwhelmingly white as West Virginia is yeah. Um, Black mortality from COVID is estimated. I, I, most of the stats I saw is twice as high as white mortality from COVID in this country as a whole. I've seen some studies that estimate it's, that it's maybe three and a half times as high. Um, and, and again, all of this has to do with all these things we've just talked about, with the rate of underlying health conditions that are not being properly managed for a variety of different reasons. Um, and then other social determinants, employment access to health insurance, medical care, poor air and water quality in communities where people of color live. All of this uh, plays into the fact that people are black people in this country are dying from COVID at a much higher rate than you would expect based on our population demographics. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition to all this relevant specifically to what is happening right now, uh, the Johns Hopkins school for public health also in the same statement today called Uh, law enforcement violence, a public health issue. Um, And this is especially for black Americans. So yet another social determinant of health, Mm. Um, the mistreatment of black Americans by our criminal justice system, by our law enforcement agencies is yet another reason why their life, why a black person's life expectancy is lower than you would expect in this, in this country. Um, So these protests concern medical professionals.
0: At least they should. They yeah. should concern everybody.
1: Well, they Isn't should concern everybody. Maybe I'm
0: alone in that, Sydney, <laughs> but I find all of it very concerning.
1: It's a, it's a public health issue, which means doctors should be organizing and speaking out about it as well.
0: Speaking of public health issues, you and I have talked a lot about um, the, the protesting and COVID and safety. And uh, I know that you want to talk a little bit about that, about protesting and and how to do it as as safely as possible
1: so right now a couple of things and you'll, you'll find a lot of these resources out there if you're someone who is is thinking of going and attending one of these protests um some really obvious things uh you may be out there for a long time and it may be difficult to immediately return back home so bring things like water it's hot in most places right now bring water bring snacks wear sunscreen uh, because specifically of, uh, coronavirus, please, if you're going to go out and protest in public, wear a mask or a bandana or some, some sort of face covering, um, over your nose and mouth. Uh, that is the safest thing you can do. Uh, a lot of s- people are still recommending social distancing at these events. And uh, yes, obviously that would be ideal if everyone was six feet apart, but that's also a really unrealistic statement to make. So wearing a mask, wearing a face covering is still a very important thing you can you can, you can can do. Um, a good piece of advice, write your name your birthday and the phone number of your emergency contact and name on your arm like a marker and like a, a sharpie or something, big letters um, in case something happens to you where you're incapacitated, where you're unconscious and somebody needs to get in touch with, you know, figure out who you are and how to get in touch with your friend or family as soon as possible. Um, I've seen a lot of conflicting advice about your phone uh uh, the best medical advice would be to to have your phone fully charged and with you because if one of your friends or family has find your phone and can find you in case you get lost that of course is a good thing however i know on the flip side there have been some people suggesting that perhaps you're more easily located by law enforcement.
0: So what, listen, folks, we don't know on this one. OK, <laughs> I here, know. bring two phones, turn one off, leave the other one on. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I've
1: seen a lot of suggestions for a burner phone. Burner phone. Just, I don't know. That's listen, a, we're out of our depth. This is a okay? world I don't know. We're about, out of yes. our depth. Uh, but tell someone something where with be. the phones.
0: OK, folks, something with the phone.
1: Please let people know where you're going, where exactly what location you are planning to be at. Um, if you are sick, my advice would be stay home especially if you suspect you may have coronavirus, please, please stay home. You don't want to make that decision for everybody else. No, you don't get to make that decision for everybody else. If you, if you are someone who takes medication, especially medication that is life sustaining on a daily basis, and it would be highly detrimental for you to be away from that medication for a day or perhaps longer. I would also consider that before you decide to go protest because many protesters are being arrested, detained for unknown amounts of time And if you are, you cannot guarantee your medication would come with you. And it is not advised that you carry anything like that on you. Um, Some things you may, those seem obvious. Some things you may not have thought of. Uh, I know at a lot of these protests, um, pepper spray, mace and tear gas are being used on protesters by police officers. So uh, some, some advice specifically for that. One is don't wear contacts. Mm. Uh, This is in reference to tear gas. So tear gas is actually, it's actually a solid. Tear gas is used to describe a number of different chemical agents that will indeed make you tear up, but will also irritate your airways. Uh, You'll produce a great deal of mucus and snot and have difficulty breathing. They're very uncomfortable agents is what everyone, this is my understanding. Um, So if you wear contacts, you can actually get, the powder stuck between the surface of your eye and the contact, which as you may imagine, Sucks. yes, is incredibly painful. So, uh, don't wear contacts. Um, when it comes to, uh, the, when it comes to tear gas specifically, the more skin that is covered, the better because, uh, it is, if the powder lands on your clothes, you can remove your clothes and it's off of you. That's the easiest you can re- get yourself out of the area and strip down is the best way to get it off of you. So I'm it's always wearing, I'm, a,
0: I'm always wearing tearaway pants actually. So that's huge for me. I'm like that's, halfway there.
1: The tearaway pants are excellent, but <laughs> yeah. So the more of your body that's covered, that your face is covered, um, goggles, if you have them, but that's a tall order, but goggles would be good. Um,
0: steampunk, not steampunk. Where are we at on that? Any.
1: I mean, whatever your goggle fashion is. Got it. Uh, Keeping your head covered and hair pulled back because the powder will cling to your hair. Um, And if you do come in contact with tear gas again, get away from the area. Remove your clothing, wash everything as soon as possible, wash yourself off as soon as possible is the best thing to do. Um, hey, you
0: should do that anyway because you're going into public. So, hey, it's one yes, yes. win. Washing
1: your hands and it's your whole way. body is going to be important anyway. I've seen a lot of people ask about the um, the spray bottles of baking soda and water. I guess those those have been used a lot in Hong Kong. And so protesters there were recommending that, that they be used. I couldn't find a lot of good evidence that that's very helpful. Um, as much as just getting out of the area, stripping down and washing off. Um, when it comes to pepper spray or mace, uh, a lot of people are asking if milk is helpful. That like if you get if you get it in your eyes or on your face to dump milk, milk will provide some temporary relief, but it actually does not clear the agent. Um, much like drinking milk after you eat a spicy pepper something with capsaicin in it. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't it doesn't permanently do anything. So your better bet is to have some like baby soap baby shampoo that kind of stuff some really gentle soap um diluted and like wash yourself off as fast as possible that's that's the better thing blink vigorously uh try not to rub your face or or eyes or anything like that don't rub anything don't touch anything but washing with some sort of gentle soap like that is is probably the best thing you can do um uh, and i think those are all the the big
0: if you can't uh Protest. Uh, you're unable to. I know I, I've seen a lot of people who are would be especially susceptible to COVID that are unable to join protests, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, remember, you can donate to uh, people who are uh, protesting. There are groups standing by to help bail people out uh, when if they are arrested. Um, I, one, I know off the top of my head, bailproject.org. Um, is, is one that works in a lot of different cities, but um, it's a, it's a great way to sh- show your support as well. I hope um, if, if you and, are able.
1: Yeah, and it, one thing I, I would say is, if you do attend the protests, I would consider, I would assume that you have likely been exposed to, especially if you've been in one of these big protests in the you know in these larger cities, um, you you may well have been exposed while you were at the protest to coronavirus. And I, I would really consider trying to isolate as much as you can following your your time at the protest um, as much as you can stay away from vulnerable people, um, the elderly or the, those with underlying illnesses that might make them more susceptible to the severe forms of covid. Um, that is probably a good decision that you could make. Um, and uh, the, the only other thing is, again, as, as a white person and as other white people listening to this show, listening is the number one thing we can do. Instead, it, It's not bad to ask questions, but and I've heard a lot of people say this. If you're going to ask questions, why don't you do some work first? You know, there are lots of resources out there that you can find to answer your questions about how to not just not just be not racist but be anti-racist and to actually ally with our uh, our black family and friends and actually help with this problem um, and not just ask them to do the emotional labor of explaining to you what you can do.
0: We tried to help with this. So th- this made, made it easier on you. We, we did some of the labor for you this time. <laughs> we, 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 Sydney did all the, the the searching and what have you. We've delivered this to you. Uh, and I, you can do your own research, too.
1: Yes. And I would I would, you know, again, I, I felt like we have a platform. We should use it. But right now, the primary thing as a white American, I need to do is listen. And if you are looking for resources, I would seek black voices. Uh, they are the leaders of this movement because they should be we should they should be speaking and we should be listening. And we should be right there using our privilege and our position in society to stand with them, to defend them, to support them, and to send the message that black lives matter. And we are also sick of this. We are also tired of this, and we are willing to do whatever we can to stop uh, these racial disparities, this racial violence, and the killing of black people in this country.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, uh, Sawbones. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their saw medicines as the Intro and Entrepreneur Program. And uh, thank you to you for for being here with us. Um, uh, we, we, we very much appreciate it, and we hope to be back with you again next week. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy.
1: I'm Sydney McElroy. And as
0: always, don't drill a hole in your head. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every
1: week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political.
0: Pop culture.
1: Black queer. Feminism. Race. Sexuality. News. You're gonna learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend.
0: Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my god, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The
1: listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but Mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens.
0: People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I
1: feel heard, I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join
0: us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast Minority, Minority Corner. Corner because together, together we're, we're the majority.
1: majority.